Welcome to Grace New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Randy is teaching on the revealed life. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 1.16 as we continue on in our series, Simple Faith. Let's listen now. Romans chapter 1. This is, um, to be really candid, I want to tell you a couple things about this passage today. Um, this is a passage that a lot of pastors are going to go through Romans, and they're just going to jump right over this uh, and, and not open up this passage. I think that would be really unfair. Uh, the second thing is, um, is as, as, we're, as, we're in this, as we're in this passage today, this is what I would just, this is going to be kind of a PG to PG-13 sermon. I, I, if you've got young kids in here, just please be aware of that. Uh, if they're in fourth grade or over, they've heard this. Um, but I just want you guys to be aware of that as we get going. Please listen to the whole thing, not a piece of it. Um, I would also say this, if, if, if you're watching online um, or you're gonna cut a piece of this out online, I just would hope that you would do the whole thing. Um, you, you know, you can take sentences out of context and they mean very different things. Romans chapter one, I, 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 if you guys would stand with me, I wanna go back to this passage that Josh preached several weeks ago. And, and I wanna go back to this very fundamental passage, 1, 16 to 18. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now watch this, it's revealed. It's, it's not forced upon, it's revealed. There's an aspect in which in order for us to understand the gospel, it has to be revealed. It, 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 it's a supernatural thing. This is the thing. You get up and you spend time in the word. You open your Bible. You pray. You go through your prayer list. You do your highs and your lows. You, you examine your soul. You, you dig. You, you read. But, but, then, but then there's this whole other thing. Yet yesterday at camp, in our high school time, just this supernatural thing happened. And Kamal came up to me and he goes, man, how do I shepherd this? And I said, this is like surfing, man. You paddle, 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 paddle. Any guys ever surf? It's Georgia. All right, I got one guy. All right. <laughs> but then the wave catches you. And you realize there's a power pushing you that's so much bigger than the wave. Amazing. It's revealed. Shown to us by the Holy Spirit. And watch this, it's from faith, it's for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's from, it's for, and it's by. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. There's this whole genre of art called shadow art. I got an image of this and in which you, you shine light on something, you, you, you make something, you sculpt something, and, and then you shine art on it. I mean, look at that. Um, there's, there's, a, there's some images of Michael Jackson, and there's, there's one, I saw one piece of shadow art in which they literally, when they move the light in, in different directions, it literally looks like he's dancing. An incredible way in which you can take things. There, there's an aspect of revelation, to this. 
Some people think you, you come to this faith out of, out of guilt or out of manipulation, but this has been my experience that there has to be a revelation. There's a revealing that happens. And again, you paddle, 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 you do the right things, but then all of a sudden, it just makes sense. Those of you guys that are married, ladies that are married, you remember, it's like all of a sudden, here's this person, maybe you were around them for a while, and then all of a sudden, you open, you go, whoa, that, wow, it's, it's revealed. This is, this, is, this is different. You know, one of these things is not like the other. This, is a, this person is different. There's this revelation to it. This is the, the power of God that is at work. Timothy, in Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and he says this in verse 15. He says he's been talking about what he was. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent. He says, but I receive mercy in verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, and the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. He writes that in the present tense, by the way. He doesn't say in which I was the foremost. He says, I am the foremost. As you walk with God, you, you, you grow and you learn and you realize, and God starts showing you stuff. God starts showing light in things that you didn't even know were there. I get an amen on that? Some of you guys that'll walk with God for a while, it's like, it's like, wow, man, I did not see that. I, I was not aware of that. But it's, but it's out of mercy and it's out of grace. It isn't out of guilt. Because he wants to refine that relationship. You, you want to make it better. You know, this, some people, even in, in marriage or in friendships or in work, they, they just kind of mail it in. There's, I read this article this week. I, I sent it to the staff uh, about people who basically, they, they, they've kind of quit on their job, but they're just kind of waiting to get fired to go on unemployment. So they just kind of coast. They've, they've shut down. We, we can do that in our relationships. And what, what God is saying here through Paul is he's saying, no, no, we're gonna keep growing, we're gonna keep moving, we're gonna keep moving forward. Verse 18 talks about the wrath. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. Now look at this. We, we hear this phrase, he hates the sin and loves the sinner. Look at it, it's, it's right here. It, it's against, it's not against the human, it's not against the person, it's against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by unrighteousness suppress the truth. This, this desire in God that is there, that word wrath, we interpret it to mean rage against someone. That's not what the word means. Wrath means this. It means that I desire you so badly that I won't let you stay in a place of pain, that I won't let you stay in a place that is not good for you. Parents, you know this feeling. You know that wrath. It's, it's so strong. It, you grieve for your kids so bad. You watch them making decision after decision, and you see them moving into this place that you know is gonna bring them pain. That's, that's wrath. It ain't anger. It's not, listen, the last thing in the world it is is hatred. The opposite of love 
is not hatred, anger, wrath. The opposite of love is I don't care. When you care so deeply, I was with a family this week and their teenage son made a bad decision. Any, anybody in here may ever make a bad decision as a teenager, as an adult, <laughs> this morning, you know? And I watched this dad just grieving for his kid. And I'm like, hey, it's not that bad. We can fix this. But, it's this, but it was this concern that this is going to elevate into something later that's going to get more and more and more severe. And it can do that. I come from a law enforcement family. I've seen that. It starts here, and then you make a bad decision, and, and, and then you lie about this, and then it becomes this, and then it becomes this, and then it becomes this. this, it's, this it's a justifiable abhorrence, and it says it's revealed against the ad, attribute. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's all ungodliness and unrighteousness of the man. It's not at the people. It's not of humanity. It's at them who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So this, this attribute, this of, becomes an identity. The identity is fools. It becomes this false purpose, idolatry. It's not against the person. He says that when we do that, we wind up becoming futile in our thinking. Verse 21, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Exchange the glory of God the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, I'm not going to talk right there about how many people will be more excited today about falcons and eagles than about getting up and going to church. You could do that, I guess. But we wind up putting things as important in our lives that aren't truly important. We live in a world in which we trust that there are things that are, that are right. And, and we trust the fact that things should be right. Things should be right. And we look at things and we know that there are things that are wrong. I, I grieved this week with my Ukrainian pastor brothers as I watched what was going on there as they're discovering these mass graves by the hundreds, citizens, men, women, children. It's wrong. 300 plus years in this country and in most of Europe, because of the melanin in your skin, you were classified as a thing instead of a human being. It's wrong. You, you look and, and you go... This is not right. This, this, this can't be the way it is. I trust that there has to be some system, some order. We, we didn't wake up this morning and wonder, is the moon going to crash into the earth this morning? We trusted in that gravity. We, there are things that we trust in that, that there is systems in order. And, and this is what it's saying. It's saying that we're gonna, we can have confidence in that but we become, we become foolish in the way we think when we start elevating the things, the creation above the creator. And that is shown in revealed hearts in the most practical way. Our relationships with each other are an image of our relationship with God. Verse 24. And therefore God gave them up. The, the sense of that is, is 
of a boat. You know, when, when we talk about scripture being God breathed, it's the sense of a boat on water being pushed. When it says that God gave them up, it's the sense that here's this boat and you just untie it and you let it go. You just let it go where it goes. He, he's a gentleman. He is not gonna force his way upon us. He, he's not, he's not going to force us to believe. He lets us go into that, into that place. He gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions and women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion. That word passion and that word wrath have a deep connection to each other. That, that word passion here is a misplacing of the deep best desire. God's wrath is his, his best desire for us. Passion here is a self-consuming desire for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. When it says that we have that freedom to pursue the very troubled but very brilliant playwright of the 19th century, Oscar Wilde, said this, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. Sometimes you go down the road and you go, boy, that, you know, what I've been wanting here, after you got what you, what you want, you didn't want what you got. You look at this section of scripture here, and let me be really, really clear. It says what it says in the Greek. I've heard people try to take it and twist it and say it means this, it means this, it means this. It means what it says. I'm, I'm, if you want to, I've got, I got 50 commentaries back there. I can show you what the words are in the Greek. They, they mean what they say. Here's a better question. Why does he say this? Why, as he's talking about idolatry, does he move into this place of sexuality? Why, why, as he's talking about idolatry, does he move into this place about passions that are natural passions, right passions being turned into passions that are not? Why does he do that? Because there's tons of things going on in Rome that if we're ranking sins are way more severe than this, way more severe. There's Christians being killed in Colosseums, in gladiator combats, and I mean, there was horrendous things going on in Rome at this time. This, this particular stuff that he's talking about here, it's not even in the Ten Commandments, not in the Decalogue. So why this? Why, why does he... Why does he talk about this? Because relationship is the image of congruency between wrath and new. If you've ever heard anybody talk about they knew them and they say in the biblical sense, Genesis 4.1 says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. Adam knew Eve. And she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That word knew has a, deep connection to that word wrath. To, to know means I care with the deepest passion. I care about you 
in a way that is, that is different, that is more intense, that is more special. Everyone else out there, I kind of know, but this person I knew, it, it, it has a much, much deeper meaning. He, he's saying that in this context of relationship, it, it's a much bigger thing. Why does he say this? Sex is not a dirty word. It's a holy word. The, the Bible, listen, this is not an anti-sex book. There's an, I'm gonna tell you also, there's an entire chapter in here, an entire book in here that, that you need to not let your teenage boys read until about a day before they get married. It's very instructive. In 1 Corinthians chapter six and seven, pretty much the entire, <coughs> excuse me, two chapters speak to this relationships and what they're supposed to be and what they're not supposed to be and, and how in marriage this is supposed to be a normal part uh, of our life. It, it's, not, it's not a dirty word, it's a holy word. I, I share this story with permission. We were at Sam's about 15 years ago and they come over the PA and they said, uh, we, we have a vendor and they're, they're selling health products and if you get these health products, you can get a set of steak knives. And if you buy two of them, you get a set of Ginsu knives, you know, those, those you know, more knives. So Anita looks, she goes, you know, we need some steak knives and we'll, we'll go see what this is. So we go over there and the guy's got these products. And, and the first thing he's, he's got is he's like, you know, this is for cardiovascular. And, and then, then he goes now, and this one is, is just kind of a general, you know, health thing for everybody. And then he's, he goes, and this one, he goes, this is for all those manly duties. And all of a sudden, I hear over my shoulder, my sweet, innocent, pure, modest wife go, hey, we're all about that at our house. <laughs> and I know, she's thinking, mow the yard, clean the gutters. So he thinks he's got a live one back here, and they start having this little conversation back and forth. Daniel's with us. Poor kid just puts his head down. He knows. He goes, you know, we, my mama doesn't talk about it. My mama's an Indian, man. We do not in our country. We don't talk about this. He just walks away, you know. The, the guy goes, yeah, we have to, we, this is important. And then he goes, give us two bottles of that, and we'll take the steak knives and the Ginsu knives. We go, we go. We go, I, I share this with permission, right, honey? Yeah, okay, so we go, we go walking away, and I said, sweetheart, honey, um, you, you, honey, you, you know, like, he wasn't talking about mow the yard. She got paler than me, like, instantly. She looks at me, she goes, how dare him? She goes, we don't talk. That's private. I said, honey, you were the one talking, baby. <laughs> she, she, goes, she goes, you take these back to him right now. and You tell him there are some things we don't talk about publicly. I said, honey, we're just going to leave these right here. And we're going to go over there and we're going to buy some steak knives. And, and we're going to get out of here as quick as we can. It's not dirty. But it's holy. Three relationships, three basic relationships in the ancient Near East. 
The first one is treaty. In the treaty, there's, there's one party and there's another party, and this party is superior in strength to the other one. That's a treaty. <laughs> I, when I do weddings, I, I basically preach this, and I, I preach this. I, I, I was in Cherokee County. I said, I'm in Cherokee County. My last name is Rainwater. Let me just say, treaties generally don't work. That's a treaty. This is a contract. Two people bring goods and services and they exchange them. And, and in a contract, it's basically we don't trust each other, so we have to write everything out. You buy a car and, and you know, you got provisions in there. If we don't pay the money, you got provisions there if the car don't work. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 19. Flip over to Matthew 19, verse 3. He says this. Pharisees are trying to trap him, and he says, they're asking him about divorce. Can you just do it for any reason? He says, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he's talking about himself, made them male and female, those are gender words, and he said, therefore, a man, that, that word, the Greek word there is anthropos, we get anthropology, it's a human, literally, and a human, a human shall leave his, wow, and all of a sudden we move away from gender and from human to relational words. Father, mother, and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And just in case you missed it, he says that again. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then watch this. Don, come up here. One of our elders, come up here really quick. This is, the two becomes, you get to be God for just a second here, all right? All right. So the two become one flesh. It says what, you put your hand right on my, what God has joined together. Let no one separate. Thank you. Thank you. That's covenant. Every relationship that we have matters. We live in this hyper-sexualized world. We've lost people to trust. People who do what I do, teachers, police, fathers, mothers. I listened to a story this week. It, it, it broke my heart of abandonment of one of our members that when they were, when they were just a kid. You hear stories like that? We've, we've lost that ability to trust. We've damaged what love means. We've, we've, we've taken that word love and we've turned it into this whole other thing. It, it's, it's, it's no longer about wanting the best for you. It's about what I want. It's about meeting my personal needs. And let's just be really candid when we're talking about the areas of sexuality and love most of us don't want our movies played. I don't. Ephesians chapter five. Turn over there if you would. I'm gonna wrap up here pretty quick. Be imitators of God. Here's our place as beloved children. Listen, church, it's never too late. Ephesus 
He writes this about three years after he writes Romans. Ephesus was, was one of the most hypersexualized, perverse places you could ever imagine. He's writing to his people there in the midst of this. There, there were temples to every sex god in the imaginable on every corner. It wasn't Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. It was sex gods on every corner. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, it couldn't even be named among you. Let, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. You can be sure of this, that anyone who's sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. By the way, that, that doesn't mean you lose your eternity. It means you're on the bench. This, the way we treat each other, the way we we honor each other in our words. That this is this incredibly pure, beautiful, and holy thing. You wanna know what your manly duty is? Ephesians 5.25, just look down a couple, couple verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's, that's what we do at the end of the day. We, 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 we come back and home and, and, and who, whatever it is in our relationship, if it's a husband and wife, if it's a parent and kid, if it's, if it's kids and, and, and maybe, maybe you got single kids, maybe, maybe you're Maybe you're the, you're the kid and, you're, and you've, you've got a mom or dad that's a widower or a widower. We have to do this with each other. Maybe, maybe this is friendships. We take, we take the word of God and we wash each other with the word of God. And we wash all the junk that gets on us from the course of the day. All the stuff from the, the, the horns and the hand motions on the interstate to the words that happen in the office. To the getting slammed online. And we wash with the word that that might present the church to himself in splendor. This is, this is our job in every relationship we're in. Our, our students are going to listen to this at, this week online. I want to say this to the teenage young men and the teenage young women. You, your job in relationship is not to get your self-esteem through that person. Your job is that you can present them more holy than when you started in that relationship. That's, that's my job as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend, that the people in my life are, are washed out of the relationship they have with me. In the same way, husbands should, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, this comes back to that, loves himself. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that this long, long line of, of sin 
Every sin imaginable, you can take your time and look through it. He says this in verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That's the opposite way it actually works theologically. The first thing that happens is you're justified. That's, that's salvation, just as if it never happened. That's justification. You're made right. Tetelestai, Jesus is on the cross. He yells out tetelestai. Tetelestai means paid in full. That's justified. Sanctified. The Holy Spirit starts working on your life, changing you. All of a sudden, that thing you wrestled with, man, I used to yell when she said that. Now I don't. I, I used to get so angry over that. Now I don't. And then that last thing, washed. This is, again, this is, goes back to what, what he says there in Ephesians, that, that, that each and every day there's this cleansing of all of the stuff washed. He says, he says you're, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Four months ago, one of our men shared at P3. He shared this story that began in his life as a young kid. He was more artsy than athletic. There was wounds from home. And then words started getting spoken over him. And as he became a young man, he stepped for 10 years. He lived as a gay man. But he chose not to see scripture through the world, but the world through scripture. He read what he believed scripture said, and he said, this can't be who I am. And he asked God to step into that. Listen, conversion is not a biblical word. Transformation is. This is what he said. He's a grandpa now, by the way. I don't live in the power of my temptations. I live in the power of the gospel. I came to understand I was not a mistake. I was substituting the love of God for the love of people. It doesn't mean I'm never tempted. Ground was plowed. There are still struggles. But my identity is no longer determined by those vicious boys that taunted me with those words, it is determined by God. <laughs> Over the next few weeks, he said, man after man after man from this body came to him and said, that was me. That was me. I, I know we live in a day in which people Say, this is what you are. This is what you are. This is what you are. You can't be changed. Our entire judicial system is based on the fact that we actually believe you can. That's why we have rules and why we believe in something called rehabilitation. 
But this isn't about that. This is about revelation. This is about seeing, and this is what God says. I'm gonna conform to what he says. Not, not even, listen, I do not question. I wanna be really clear here. I don't question that we've all got bents and temptations that move in different directions. I don't question that. I don't question that at all. But I, as I, the older I get, the more I talk to people, I, I hear those things. Sometimes it's about that. Sometimes it's about parenting. Sometimes it's about things that have happened to them that are beyond their control. I don't question any of that. This is the thing, though. I, I am not determined by my heart. I'm determined by my God. Very different thing here. You can ask my wife. I'm a different man than when we got married. I think tolerance is not a Christian value. I don't tolerate people I disagree with. I love them. Tolerance is not a word that as a Christian, I say, yeah, I'm gonna tolerate you. No, we're not, we're not commanded to tolerate people. Tolerate means I don't like you, but I'm gonna deal with it. No, I'm commanded to love people. I'm commanded to love people I disagree with. I'm commanded to show respect to people I disagree with. 47 years ago, I rode with my dad to a federal prison and he signed the papers. If you're new here, he was a federal prison official and he was ranked high enough he could do this. And this was 47 years ago, you could do stuff like this. And he signed out a man who I didn't really understand. I was 12, I didn't really understand what it was. But this, this, was, this was someone who in our day you would say was transgender. 47 years ago, my dad brought him to our house and we had dinner and we went to church and we came back and we had pie as we did with everybody else from the prison on Sunday nights and then we drove back. And I learned a lesson that day. That there are gonna be some things in this life I don't understand, but the grace of God I can understand. And it is my job to love people, even people I don't fully agree with because he's the one that reveals. It's his revelation. It's my job to speak what I believe this book says. It's his job to reveal and to bring people into conformity to it by transforming. I can't make anybody do anything. Now, I know not everybody can live with that, but that's called grace. I think one of the reasons why we are not a gotcha church, but we're a I've gotcha church is because of Celebrate Recovery. And every Tuesday night, this parking lot is a third full of people who come here with their hurts and their habits. And God moves. We were at camp and I just felt like God was doing something with our high schoolers and I called Kamal, he's the youth pastor over at Snellville. I called, I called him over and, and 
I went up to the front and he, I motioned and he came over and he goes, something's happening here. I said, yeah, I said, Kamal, I really think a student's gonna come up and share a word. I said, don't be afraid of it, it's okay. This young man walked up on the stage. He said, last year at this time, I was addicted to pornography. I was smoking weed every day. I was taking drugs almost every day, running as far away from God as I could. And he said, in January, I ran headlong into God. He said, it doesn't mean I don't ever have struggles. It doesn't mean I don't ever have challenges. But he said, there's a power. There's a power in the spirit of God that's bigger than the power of that pornography and of those drugs and of that weed. What I was looking to give me peace, that wasn't giving me peace. That's what happened when that happened. Kid after kid just came up. There's no guilt. There was no manipulation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit moving in kids' lives. I would just close with these two things. If you want your angry Christian for your 3 p.m. TV talk show, you're gonna have to go somewhere else besides this church. Because I don't think you're gonna find them here. I know those people exist. I see them on TV at three in the afternoon. I don't know any of them. And church, here's the last thing. Light reveals. But not if it's shining in somebody's eyes. Light shining in somebody's eyes blinds them. How does light reveal? You have to come and you have to stand next to people. And the light shows the path. You got to come along next to. Pray with me. Jesus, We have messed up our relationships really, really bad. I have. We operate out of fear and pride and lusts and passions. And Lord, this next generation of kids, they need better than, than what some of us have experienced in our life. And we ain't, we ain't gonna get better on our own. That has to be revealed. The way we treat each other in our marriages, the, the way that, that we walk in singleness, our value isn't determined by our sexuality, but, but our relationships show our relationship to you. If we're single or a widow or a widower or we're married or we're a kid or whatever we are, You've called us to be a family on mission of people who love each other. And Lord, I know there's people who walked in here today and, and feel like they're alone. And I pray that they would not feel like they're alone. I pray they would know they have a family now. And we would mean it. That you would cleanse us. If there's stuff in our life that's not pleasing to you, God, we can set that stuff aside. If there's things we're wrestling with that, that your word says is not what we should be, that we would take that to you. And this would be a place filled with grace. And as Paul says, 
You're a God who comes to save sinners, and I'm the foremost of that. So this morning, as we remind ourselves of this covenant picture, this blood and this body, which you said is the sign of the new covenant, Lord, I pray that today would be a demarcation day. It would be a line in the sand in some of our lives. Some of us would go home and we'd erase some websites. Some of us would go to our phones and there's some contacts that we erase. For some of us, there's some wounds and some hurts and it contributes to the way we interact with the people around us and and we would bring those things to you. That in our relationships, whatever those are, we would see that we are the beloved and we would live like we're the beloved. In Jesus' name. 